Lord, we come before you. We ask you to just bless this time as we look at your word and guide and lead us as we open this book and help us to see what you would have us to see in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, Numbers 28. We were looking at uh, Moses, and Moses has been told that he's not going to go into the promised land, and he's, he's starting to kind of uh, give them the re- rehashing of the laws, and then we're going to get into Deuteronomy where he really goes over all the law. But uh, right now he's starting to give them some new rules, new directions. So 28 verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel, and say unto them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifice is made by fire for a sweet savor unto me. Shall you observe to offer unto me in their due season? And you shall say unto them, This is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer the Lord, two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day, for a continual burnt offering. One lamb shall you offer in the morning, and the other you shall offer in the evening. And a tenth part of an ephah of flour for the meal offering, mingled with the fourth part of the hen of beaten oil, it is a continual burnt offering which was ordained in Mount Sinai for a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. And the drink offering thereof shall be a fourth part of a hen of, for the one lamb in the holy place shall you cause the strong wine to be poured unto the Lord for a drink offering. And the other lamb shall you offer at evening as the meat offering of the morn, in the morning and the drink offering thereof. You shall offer it a sacrifice made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. So we're seeing here before we, in the beginning of the book, we were in, in Exodus, we were talking about the burnt offering, the peace offering, the trespass offering, the meat offering, and the drink offering. And we're going to be kind of doing this, but at the same time, God is adding to their offerings. He says that he wants a lamb offered every morning and every evening. And later on, you'll, you'll, you'll read in the, in the prophets that these are called the morning oblation and the evening oblation. So they, in the morning and the night, they offer a lamb every day of the week when there was a tabernacle, when, the, when, they, had, when they had the tabernacle. And so we're going to look a little bit at this offering. And it says, my offering and my bread for my sacrifice made by fire for a sweet savor unto me shall you observe to offer me in their seasons or their appointed time. So he says, you're going to give me an offering. You're going to give me the bread or meat offering where they gave, they gave a little bit of the flour, put it on the fire, and the rest of the flour and oil went to the priest. And the priest used it for their food, all right? And same thing with this lamb is going to be a burnt offering. So this is going to mean in the burnt offering that meant that all of it was consumed and it showed, does anybody remember what it shows, the burnt offering? Uh, 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 The aroma. Well, the smell Uh, was a sweet smelling, which meant that God was pleased. Yeah. And the, the burnt offering represented total commitment to God, total dedication to God. Here's God, I'm giving you this. Instead of me being burnt up, I'm burning the, I'm symbolically burning this lamb, showing that I'm totally given to you, or whatever it was that you were offering to him. So this fire is made every night and in, for, in Israel at the, at the tabernacle. And it says, this offering made with fire shall you offer two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day, a continual burnt offering. So this was every day 
This was beyond all the other offerings that they were going to make. Uh, and this, you know, you think about this when, when the temple was running and up and running, there was a lot of blood that flowed from all these animals being killed. You think about Passover where every single family had to, um, male had to go to Jerusalem to make this offering. And Josephus said that the Kidron Brook ran red because of all the blood that flowed into it from coming down the mountain to the, to the brook because of all the blood being drained. So there was blood everywhere. It's, it was a very messy way of worshiping God. And thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus fulfilled all the sacrifices. And that blood no longer has to run and go and be wasted and poured out. And one, one lamb in the morning, one lamb at night, a tenth part of an ephah, that's about a third of a gallon of fine, and it doesn't say fine flour here, but if we remember back when we studied the meat offering, it, it was fine flour. It was, it, it took the kernel, you had to take the husk off the kernel of the flour and then grind the grind that part so there was no husk at all in it. And if, we, if you remember, we talked about how that made kind of like a talcum powdery type flour. Yeah. Very fine, very delicate. And in our, in our day, we don't, we don't even have what they would call flour because we don't use the husk either, but we don't do it quite as fine as theirs was. And in the old days, you took your whole, your whole head of wheat, you ground it up, and you had husk in it, and it was very heavy flour. Very nutritious, very dense, but it wasn't something you made cakes out of. This, this flour is the one you made cakes out of. It's been sifted, it's been, been cleaned up, and, and this flour was one that was the very expensive flour, because it was a lot of work to get this fine flour. And be more like our bread flours and pastry flours, the real fine flours that we have. Uh, would be more in line with what this flour is. And again, I kind of have to set that stage for us because we don't understand the flour that they had was very, very heavy. If you eat the eight, you know, the eight grain, nine grain, 10 grain bread, you're getting closer to what their flour was. Except in our case, we're adding this, those grains back in to, to, our, to our flour instead of grinding them all together. And then it had a um, a mingled with a fourth part of a hen of oil, and a hen of oil, a fourth part of a hen of oil is about a half a gallon of, of oil. So you've got kind of a gooey paste here with, with that much oil and that little flour, and it was presented on this offering to be burnt, and for the, for the priest to be able to take this oil and flour to make things out of. And this was done day and night, as a continual burnt offering. And he says, as it was ordained in Mount Sinai, a sweet savor of sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. Now, the one thing that's hard to picture, and we talked about this when we were talking about the sacrifices before, God calls the burning of this flesh a sweet savor to him. And if you've ever smelled burnt flesh, it doesn't smell very good. You know, even if you burn a steak or, or something on your stove, it does not smell good. And this stuff was burnt directly on the fire. The steak smells a little bit better than the 
<laughs> but God calls it sweet savor, and I think it's because it is that, that sacrifice that was being made in his honor that he says, okay, I'm being placated by this offering. He's not, he's not holding it against, peop against people. And it says, the drink offering shall be a fourth part of the hen for one lamb in the holy place. And, and this drink was poured out poured out before God as a sacrifice. And you think about this, number one, this, this fermentation of the grapes and stuff that made it into a wine. Uh, it was not to be done with a yeast on it. It had to be fermented just through aging. And it was poured out. God said, I just want it poured out. Uh, very expensive stuff being wasted, <laughs> being burnt as a sacrifice to God. And this is kind of interesting because, you know, every, every time people start talking about giving to God, all, especially in the Christian world, all they ever mention about is the tithe. Huh? They didn't think of that as getting rid of or wasting. No, they, it was a sacrifice to God. It was giving to God. Yeah. But it still was out of your pocket into somebody else's. It was a, it was a, it was, there was waste involved in it. I mean, this was a, a lamb that was, would have normally been sold or a, or a bull, or a goat, or <laughs> whatever, and pouring out the wine and the oil and giving it away. And remember, a lot of this went to a lot of the stuff went to the priests. All right, uh, much of the sacrifice, only the burnt offering was consumed completely. All the other offerings, a big portion of it, if not most of it, went to the priest. The the trespass offering, they took the internal organs and the fat and one leg, put it on the fire and burnt it and the priest got the rest of it, okay? This was how the priest survived, basically. They got, their, they got lots of their food from these offerings. So when Israel was practicing what they were supposed to practice, the priest did pretty good with food. And remember on the, on the uh, burnt offering, they would, they would skin it and the priest got the, the skin or the leather and would tan it and, and be able to sell that for, for, for funds. Uh, for the peace offering, God got a piece of that offering, the priest got a piece of that offering, and you got part of that offering back. And you had a day to consume that, a day or two to consume it, depending on what your reason was for giving it. And I love it in one of the pastors I listened to called, called it having a picnic with God. <laughs> you know, the priest got in it, God got in it, and you got to take the rest home and, and have a picnic with everybody that you could get to, to eat this thing so it would be gone in the right time. So we in our day think that, oh, all the part, all, you know, every time they give an offering, it was totally burnt and consumed. Very few of them were totally burnt and consumed, and we've covered that before. Um, and on the Sabbath day, the, the two lambs of the first year without spot and two tenths deals of flour and meat mingled with oil and drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath beside the continual offering. So on Sabbath, on Saturday, they added two more lambs. <laughs> okay? So every day of the week, one lamb was being offered morning and night. And on Saturday, two lambs were offered morning and two lambs offered at night. Okay? Because the Sabbath day was holy. It was special. And so this is a big deal. You can think about this at, at times. There was always something happening at the temple, okay? And we see this in the New Testament when Jesus and his disciples were going around, they often went to the temple 
because that's where people gathered. Mm -hmm. It's where the sacrifices were made. That's where the rabbis hung out and, and taught their students. That's where people would go to get advice from the priest or the rabbis. Uh, in the, outside of Jerusalem, they went to the synagogues. But in Jerusalem, the, the temple was the place to go. There was always something going on at the temple. And this is something that is very curious to me. Is in, in, in the New Testament, it says they met day by day to learn. And yet most churches in America especially, and it's getting worse, it used to be Monday, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now a lot of churches are only meeting Sunday mornings. And maybe one night in the middle of the week, and that's it. And there are other ones that meet, you know, three, four, five times a week, you know, but we need to be meeting with one another. We need to share with one another. We need to be taught. Get as much time in as possible with the, with the body in the Old Testament temple, everything daily, something going on. The early church, daily, things going on. And it was something we just want to be aware of. How much time do we spend with God? And I bring this up a lot. You know, we talk about tithing, but do we tithe our time as well as our money? You know, does God get two and a half hours per day? You know, does he get 17 hours a week? <laughs> and, we, and we look at that and say, a lot of people will say no. Some people say yes. And they go, yeah, God gets plenty of my time. Other people go, nope, God doesn't get very much of my time. God doesn't get very much of my possessions. Yeah. I might give them a couple dollars. I might give them the tithe if I'm lucky. In Israel, they gave them a tithe plus the offerings in the morning, plus the, 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 the seven feasts that they had to go to, plus the, 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 just the, sin, the uh, sin sacrifices. And, and you know, it's been calculated that if they did all the offerings they were supposed to plus their tithe, they were up to about 33% of their funds went to God. Yeah. And we get Christians who get uptight if you ask them to give 10%. And they didn't have any bills, right? Huh? They didn't have electric bill or... Well, they had plenty of bills. You got to think that bills are not new. They still had to buy their oil. You, you either had to go and harvest your, 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 your wood or you paid somebody to bring it to you, just like we do today. You had to go get your, your water or you paid somebody to bring you your water. Uh, if you didn't own the wood, you had to pay somebody to go get the wood out of there for, I mean, the, nothing's new. All the bills are not new. Now, maybe they weren't quite as bad back then, but you also didn't have the same incomes that we have in today's world. But it, these have always been there. The, the bills and, and the cost of living have always been there. If you didn't own your house, you had to pay rent or mortgage. If you borrowed money, you had to pay that back. And your house was your, you know, your house or your fields were your collateral. If you didn't pay back, you lost that. If you wanted a wagon or animals, you had to buy them, <coughs> at least enough to get some to, to produce their own. And then you still had to feed them. And if you didn't have the fields, you had to buy the buy the food. No, bills are nothing new. Uh, so this, they've had the bills. They don't. You know, they may, they, they may not have been quite as bad as this. You had to pay taxes. The government, you know, the government still wanted to be paid. Uh, so nothing, nothing is new. That's why I love the Ecclesiastes. Nothing is new under the sun. It has all been there and has always been there and always will be there probably. So on the Passover, on the, on the Sabbath, they increase this. Then in verse 11, And the beginnings of your months you shall offer a burnt offering unto the Lord, 
two young bullocks and one ram, seven lambs and of the first year without spot, three-tenths deals of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and for one bullock, two-tenths deals of flour for, meat, for the meat offering mingled with oil for one ram, and seven, several tenth deal of wine, flour mingled with oil for a meat offering unto one lamb for a burnt offering and a sweet savor, sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. So the beginning of every month, you had this special offering that involved 10 animals. <laughs> Two bullocks or cows, one ram and seven lambs. Every month, all this was offered. I believe most of this stuff was to make sure that the priests were taken care of, that God said every month you're going to start this nice buildup for the priests to have for their food. So, because you figure they offer a bullock, it's going to be a good chunk of meat for the, the priests to have for, that, for, that, for weeks after that's happened. They could salt it and all the other stuff they did to preserve it. And a good, good chunk of, of oil and, and flour was there preserved and if you cooked it up with, you know, with, a, and, uh, with yeast and everything, it would be able to keep for a while. So I think God was providing for his priest with this once a month, you know, a daily one for, for food and, a, and, and this once a month one. So God is trying to take care of his people, his Levites. Because remember, the Levites, when they get into the land, are not going to be given an uh, inheritance. They're going to be given some cities. And a little bit of land around the city that they can, you know, uh, graze their anim what animals they do have, and and do a little bit of small level farm farming. You know, they don't have enough land to really make farms. They can do plots, and so their main income is going to be the sacrifices that people make. And and you, again, you think about this: how often did the people not sacrifice to God because they were backslidden, and they would end up. You know, we, we know through the history that many times they left the temple to go back home to farm what land they could farm and raise their cattle because the people weren't coming to the, to the temple to give offerings. And so they weren't getting a chance to earn a living. And here God's providing for him. He's saying, you know, we're going to offer all these things and we're going to give you almost a full gallon of flour and oil for each of the bulls. Ephah, well, one one quarter of it is about a third of a about a about a third of a gallon, and this is three 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 thin, so we're right over close to a gallon, about nine tenths of a gallon. So, all of this was coming in so that they would have provisions, because God didn't need the animals, He didn't need the sacrifices. All of this was to support the the Levites, and if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how. All these offerings go to the Levites. The Levites were to offer to the priests, and the priests were to offer to the high priest, and the high priest was to offer to God. And each time it was supposed to be the best. Just as the people were supposed to give their best to the Levites, the Levites were supposed to give the best of what they received to the priests, the priests were supposed to give the best to the high priest, and the high priest was supposed to give the best to God. So God ultimately got the best of the best if everybody did what they were supposed to. And so we see in this whole process, and it doesn't go in, the, the thing about this is this is not going into the in-depth detail that Leviticus did. 
Leviticus went into all of this real deep detail about the offerings and how they were done and how and how the priest what parts the priest got and what part was burnt up and what part went back to the people. And we talked about the wave offering, which was side to side, and the heave offering presented to God. And so we see all of this going on. And God is saying, this is happening every month. Okay? You've got a lamb every day with the, with the flour and the water. In the beginning of the month, you've got these 10 animals that are all going to be killed. That's going to be a busy day. It's going to be a busy day for the priest on the first of, the, the, the first of every month. And then verse 14, And their drink offering shall be a half a hen of wine, or about a half a gallon, and a third part of a hen for a ram, and a fourth part of a hen for a lamb. And this is the burnt offering every month throughout the months of the, of the year. And it says, verse 15, And one kid of the goats for the sin offering unto the Lord shall be offered besides the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. So now he's adding even one more thing. A young goat is going to be offered. So we've got two, two cows, a ram, seven lambs, and a, and a goat at the first of the month, every month, all year round, be, being offered. And God is trying to teach them being generous to the priests, basically, because this is going to be how the priests are paid. Verse 16, in the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. Hey, this is one of the great feasts that all the Jews, all the Jewish men are supposed to go to Jerusalem every year for. And not done so much right now. Not all Jewish men go to Jerusalem on the 14th of the, of the first month of the year of Nisan. Yeah, like three times a year. Three times a year, all the men had to go. And Passover was one of those. And it, and it specifically said the men. It didn't, the wives didn't have to go necessarily. The children didn't have to go necessarily. Now, usually it was a family event and family affair to do so, but it wasn't required, but it was required of the man, the head of the house. He was to go and worship God on the Passover at Jerusalem. And so on the 14th day of the first month is the Passover, and the 15th day of this month is the feast. Seven days shall unleavened bread be eaten, and the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no manner of servile work therein, but you shall offer a sacrifice made by fire for a burnt offering unto the Lord, two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year, and they shall be unto you without blemish. And their meat offering shall be a fine mingled flour, or flour, flour mingled with oil. Ten tenths deals shall you offer the, for the bullock, two tenths for the ram, and several tenth deals shall you offer for every lamb throughout the seven lambs, and one goat for the sin offering to make the atonement for you. And you shall make these besides the burnt offering in the morning, and for it, this is the continual offering. After this manner you shall offer daily throughout the seven days the meat sacrifice made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. It shall be offered beside the continual burnt offering and the drink offering. Okay. Comes over Passover time. Passover time is the celebration of the leaving of Exodus, and when when God had destroyed, killed the firstborn children of all of Egypt and anybody who didn't have the blood on their doorpost. There's going to be the Passover lamb. The whole process for the Passover lamb to be, you know, you went out uh, on the tenth day of, of of the first month and you you picked out your lamb for Passover. 
You brought that lamb into your house and treated it as a pet and examined it for four days. Then you took that lamb and you took it to the priest and had it sacrificed, killed. Then you brought it home and you cooked it. Okay? The lamb that you had been paying, living with and caring for for four days was to be the meal for Passover. Okay? And it didn't necessarily be in your home, but they did bring it in their home. It was to be not amongst the flock. It was to be right there at your house. It was, it was to be examined, to be looked after. The kids would probably make it a pet for four days. Uh, and then it was to be killed. This is one of the reasons that I believe that Jesus ministered for four years, not three years like most people do, because he was the Passover lamb. And the Passover lamb was inspected for, three, for four days. And so I personally believe that Jesus you know, walked amongst the people for four years. And most people say, well, maybe three and a half. They don't really like going to the four. But I think because of this, because he was the Passover lamb and he's a picture and it's a picture of him that he, he ministered for four years to be examined by the people. And so you have all this going on. And then besides that, you have on the Passover, whenever the 14th fell, you have all these 10 animals that have to be killed and the, and the meat and the potato, the meat and the potatoes, yes. <laughs> the, the, flour, the flour and the oil. I must be hungry for some reason. The flour and the oil was offered on the 14th day of the month. So if it also happens to be the fall on a Sabbath day, you've got all these ten animals plus the two, plus the two extra ones, plus the one, plus the one that was a daily, <laughs> the two that were daily. You know, the priest would get very busy on on this. Um, like a slaughterhouse, huh? It basically was the, the the temples were a slaughterhouse, and even in in the days of when Jesus walked, you know, uh, the the temples were slaughterhouses even even to the other foreign gods they were they were slaughterhouses except they didn't burn all their stuff they took it down to the meat market down there and sold it sold the meat so you know that they offered to the gods and, and took the money <laughs> to those priests and that's why Paul says that if you have no problem and told the Corinthians if you if God gives you permission to eat the meat go ahead it's, it's good meat it's fresh meat it's good you know it's, it, it was the best of the meat, you know, it's not the leftovers taken from the flock because the even year. their gods wanted, wanted the best. The first year isn't very big, is it? No, but it's tasty. It's the taste of your meat, like, <laughs> like calf. It's like veal, it's, it's, the, it's the better, tender, more tender right. meat. So it wasn't a big bowl. Of yeah, it's not, it's not taking the thing that's so old it was getting ready to die and it's so tough you don't want right. to, you didn't want to eat it anyway, so. But yeah, this is all, this is all the, it's the best. God is demanding the best. The first, the, the yearling, the give me, some, give me the best of your unspotted, un, un, untainted. And Malachi later on, you know, in Malachi, he goes, you're giving God your, your lame and your broken. And, and in, the, in it, he actually is very you know, sarcastic. So let's try giving that to your governors and see what they think about about your, your giving this to them. You know, and he goes, God doesn't think any better of it. Uh, because the people oftentimes would say, God, you're just getting the leftovers. You're going to get whatever I, you know, whatever I don't want. And we do that oftentimes in this day and age. People will go, well, I'll give God, if I have money left over after I pay my bills, I'll give God, I'll give God some offering. You know, and he should just be happy with what he gets. He doesn't need it anyway. He should just be happy with what he gets. And God says, no, I want the first part. You know, I want you to have faith that I'm going to provide for you, so give me, 
the money that you don't think you can afford. And he blesses that gift because we have faithfulness to say, I'm going to trust in God. And this was the same thing. He's saying, give me the best. He's, one of the offerings they were supposed to give was the first fruit of the harvest. Okay? You, the very first things you harvested out of, your, out of your land, you were supposed to give to God. It's number one, the best of the product usually. And also it was a step in faith. You might not be, I mean, you could have a flood come out and wash your field away after that first harvest and not have another harvest for the season. And God said, I want you to have faith to give me the first. That there will be, that you're putting your faith in God, that you're going to be able to, you know, sow the rest of the, uh, reap the rest of the field and have, have a harvest out of it. And God has always been this way. He's saying, give me the best, give it to me first. And this is why we are to challenge God and say, you know, yes, God, I'm going to give you the best of what I have. I'm going to give you the, give you, you know, right off the top. And, you know, I teach people and I, and I practice this, you know, my tithe is the first check we write when we get the, when we get the check, checks in. Doesn't matter what else, you know, tithe, our tithe and offering, you know, because we go above a tithe, you know, it's the first check we write and the rest of the bills will be paid on, you know, until we run out of money. And okay, God, you know, the rest of these are yours to take care of. And you know, now that I've got my new job, we're having, not having to do that as much. But you know, God has been blessing with that funds. But for three years, when I was only making what little Lynn was making at the school, which was much more than I was making for here at the church, you know, we get the bills paid, and I'm going, God, okay, here's the rest of your bills. <laughs> and I literally did this to God. You know, God, here's the rest of your bills. I don't know how you're paying them, but. And he'd give me some extra side job somewhere or a gift somewhere, and God would, God would provide. If I had been stingy and saying, God, we can't afford to pay these bills, we can't tithe, I don't think he would have paid the rest of the bills. Here we are with the, the Passover. God is saying, I want, again, the ten animals that he's been naming, the two, two bullocks, the, the ram, and the ten sheep, and the extra oil and, and, and flour. For the, and he wants it best, and he wants it done first. And again, this is to support the Levites. And the Levites work very hard during the Passover because they're killing all these extra lambs that are going back out to these people's homes and examining them to make sure that they are correct, correct animals, that they are without blemish, cheating them in Jesus' day saying, because they'd find a blemish and say, you can't give this one, you have to buy one of the temple temple lambs, and then they'd probably take your lamb and put it back in the temple lambs. Oh. Uh, but all of this going on, and God says it's a sweet-smelling savor. And remember, Passover goes for seven days, and then they would, and that was called unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then on the Sabbath after that, they would offer their sacrifices, and they would be able to, to get leaven again. And remember, leaven represents sin, okay? And so every year they had to go and get rid of all the leavening agents in their house and sweep out their house, and they make a big deal out of this, even today is in ceremony, of cleaning out every, sweeping every corner and getting rid of all the yeast and, and other leavening agents out of their house and businesses so that they can be sin-free, you know, as they worship God. And huh? Oops. And it's there. And it's and this is there. Is yeast, you know. Yeast. Well, yeast is represents sin. Kind of like a bacteria. Isn't it? Well, right. it represents sin. It represents sin more because of how it go 
can overtake the entire amount of flour. And they didn't understand no, they didn't understand that it was a living creation that they were, you know, creatures they were adding to it. But, but they understood that it leavened the loaf and it, you know, caused it to rise. And and they knew that it didn't take very much yeast in a in a very small amount of flour to leaven the whole whole thing. And if you've ever done any kind of baking with yeast, it's a very small amount of yeast in. In, in your flour, unless you're trying to do it quick. Uh, it depends on how you're trying to do it. If you're doing it, you can do it slow like they would do in just a little bit. And what they would do is they'd take a little piece of the bread and set it aside and, and use it to, oh, yeah. to leaven the next loaf. The miners did that with the yeah, it was sour. It basically made a sourdough bread because after a while it soured. And sourdough miners. So, but here we are. Facing the Passover and the un, and the feast of unleavened bread, okay, and this was a big deal for them, and it was a eight day process because you you killed the lamb, you worshipped God on the Sabbath, you had unleavened bread for seven days, and then you had another Sabbath and celebration which include a burnt offering, and that was a big holiday for them, and it was a celebration holiday for them. This was not a this was not like the Day of Atonement, which were, was a very solemn occasion. This was a, a feast and parties and excitement. And if you ever have the chance you know, to, to go see one of the Jews for Christ satyrs or something, go, go do it. Because it's quite interesting when they show you all the stuff, not just what's in the Bible, but all the stuff they added to the Passover that really shows Jesus in, it, in, it, in its... And it's beautiful. There's one where they have a pouch with three three wafers of of unleavened bread, and they take the they take the middle one out and they hide it. And the kids have a contest to go find the middle the middle one, which is a picture of the the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They hide Jesus, and there's a celebration when they find him because he was hidden away in in the sacrifice, and he and he was you know, buried and rose again. So there's this celebration in the picture that they don't even understand all of what they, what they do. And they have things about the bitter herbs and how it brings tears and, and repentance and, and all the different fruits and the honey. You know, honey in the Old Testament had a very special privilege because it was to represent the word of God. The, the, the early Jews used honey as a reward as the child would memorize scripture. They would get the reward of honey, like giving them a piece of candy. And they would get honey as their reward for memorizing the scripture. So you got this picture of you're memorizing the scripture with the sweetness of that reward. And that's why uh, in Psalms, David says, you know, thy word is sweeter than honey and better than honey. And the honeycomb, he says, you know, or more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. It says the word is what's important. Not the reward you got, but the word was what was important. And we see all of these different activities, and they were mostly done without knowing what it was they were doing. They didn't see the whole picture of it. They, they look at the matzah with the stripes on it and say this is the, the Messiah's you know, paying the debt for us, and yet they didn't recognize what they did to Jesus. Okay, this is all of what's going on out there that the Jews have been blinded through all these years and still 
are blinded. And I believe it's Zacharias says that they will look upon him whom they, whom they have slain and ask, who did this to you? And he says, a friend and a brother did this to me. Now, he'll tell them at the, when he comes back, you are the ones that did this. You're the ones that, did, that caused all this pain. You're the ones that caused this atrocity to have been done to the Passover lamb. And the idea of the Passover lamb was to have no bones broken in it. And Jesus had no bones broken in his body. He had many disconnected and, and loosened joints, but he had no broken bones. And you know, all of the Passover is there to show us Jesus. And we see him and we're able to look at him. In verse 26, And the day of the first fruits, when you bring in the meat offering unto the Lord, after your weeks be out, you shall have a holy convocation and do no servile work again on this holiday. And this holiday is 50 days after first fruits is done. Okay? And so you've got Passover, and then you have unleavened bread until the next Sabbath day, and then you start counting 50 days to get to Pentecost, first fruits. Okay? Which first fruits will, or Pentecost, will always be on a Monday because it starts counting on a Sabbath. Seven weeks out would be 49, and then a Sunday will be your Pentecost. And Jesus was sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the first fruits of his new life and our new life as a church was on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down. Holy Spirit came down. But it was already a holiday for the Jews. It was already a holiday of first fruits for the Jews. It wasn't a special day for Christians. We just, we just see it in a different way. Yeah. All right. Jesus died on Passover, was buried for, for unleavened bread, and, and was the first fruits, uh, first fruits on, on when he was resurrected, and then we have Pentecost, the gift of the first fruits. All right? And so this is, again, it's a holy convocation. No work is done on Pentecost. I notice Pentecost changes every year, too. It's not on the same day, right? Like because we don't follow the same calendar they do. Oh, I see. That's why. The Jews have a 24-week, a, a, a 28-day calendar each month. And when they start getting out of sync, they'll add an extra month in there to bring it back into sync. Oh, I see. So they have 12 four-week months, and then I think it's every four or five years they throw in an extra month to bring it back into well, sync year, with us. Yeah, it's basically the same, same format as our leap, year, uh, leap day. They, get, they just put a whole month in there. And wow. So, but uh, yeah, they, they do just a That's whole right. month. You explained that to us before. I thank you for explaining it again. Yeah. And uh, which is why, because we base our celebration of the resurrection of Christ on the, on the uh, Vernox, I think it is. I keep getting mixed Equinox and Vernox. I think it's the Vernox in spring. We base it on that, and they base it on the new moon of the new month. So they're, very in, they're not always anywhere close to each other for Passover and for, for the Easter, Easter service. Um, and usually they're pretty close. <laughs> Like this year, 
next week is Passover, and we had Easter. We had Easter, uh, you know, three weeks ago. You know, so we're almost a month off. Well, my son's May 24th. He was born on Pentecost last year, or this year, or whatever. Last year. This year, it might not be on Pentecost because our calendars don't jive. Don't. Oh, 21st or 22nd, I think, Passover starts. So that means the 29th is when you would start counting for Pass uh, for Pentecost, and so 50 this days. May 24th. So. Yeah. Or 57 days from the yeah. Passover. I was surprised you were born on Pentecost. So... But it's a holy, holy convocation. In earlier ones, it says that it's a Sabbath. You know, this is a key that we have to remember. The Jews have Sabbath whenever there's a holy feast day as well. So when they have Passover, Passover is called a Sabbath day. As a matter of fact, it's called a high Sabbath. It's not just a Sabbath, it's a high Sabbath. And then you, then you would have your regular celebration on the Saturday Sabbath. This is why when Jesus was crucified, the early church, well, not the early church, but the Catholic church decided that he had to, have been die, he had to die on a Friday because Friday was the day before the Sabbath. But he died the day before Passover, which is dying the day before Sabbath. Whatever day of the week Sabbath was, the Passover was on, With their calendar <laughs> was a Sabbath. Okay. Um, so, and then there would have been time between the time he died to, to the actual Saturday Sabbath. And this is one of the reasons I believe that he did not die on a Friday because I cannot get him de dead for three days and three nights by having him die on Friday. It just doesn't work. Even with their calendar. Well, they still have Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, uh, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. <laughs> okay. Seven day week. Seven day week, same days of the week, you know. So if he died on Friday, he was dead all day Saturday, and he rose on Sunday, that's no matter how you count it, there's only two days there. And they played his gym, gymnastics. Well, it was sunrise on Friday, so you got to count Friday, all day on Saturday, and they kind of lose it on Sunday because it said that he showed up before the sun rose, he showed up to the people. So they don't get their third day, even with that kind of logic. Yeah, what's so good about it? Uh, so... He most likely died on a Wednesday, maybe a Thursday, but I really think he died on a Wednesday, Sabbath, with Passover being on a, on a Thursday. They didn't go to the temple, so they wouldn't be unclean for, for the Sabbath, and the first time they had to get out to see him would have been Sunday morning. That's, I, I will believe that. I will always believe that, no matter how many of these theologians try to, try to twist it and, and, and mangle it. Uh, it just it doesn't make sense and it doesn't understand Jewish tradition that set, that Passover is a Sabbath. So, but here we are. We've got multiple Sabbaths. You can have multiple Sabbaths in a week. You know, and in the Passover week you have multiples because, you know, because you start out with one, then you have a Sabbath, and then eight days later you have another <laughs> celebration. And Pentecost is going to be a holy convocation, a Sabbath, and. Is the same offerings for them that God says, give me, give me the two bullocks, the ram and the seven lambs, the oil, and again, the kid of the flock for a, a sin offering. Okay, and the sin offering would have been totally killed, uh, totally burnt because it was to be destroyed. The trespass, off, you know, the trespass offering was, it burnt, burnt most of it and the rest of it went to the priest as a, as a holy offering to them. So here we've got 
all these things and we're starting to to look at how God is providing for his people. Remember, all of Israel are his, but he says, I have taken the Levites, they are mine. And here's his way of providing their, their food. He's making sure they get plenty of sacrifices so that they are prepared for, they are kept, as long as Israel is following God. And again, many times they're not following God. You know, you've got Josiah who comes to, to be king at eight years old, and they spend weeks cleaning, cleaning the garbage out of the temple. It became a garbage dump, a collection, a, just where they put, put whatever they didn't want, and some of it was just literally garbage. And then you can, if you remember the story of Josiah, they found the book of the law, and they rejoiced until they read it. And then they were in tears at all the violation of what they were, do, of what they were doing. Because the, they found the, the commandments and on all the offerings they were supposed to do and, and all of these things. And one thing also to point out, here's a sec, another mention of the Passover. In all the time they wandered in the wilderness, they did not practice Passover. Because it says in, Judge, in, in Joshua that he had, that Joshua called for Passover to be followed in the new in the in the promised land and it had been the first one since given to Moses. That's a long time for not doing something that they were supposed to do every year. Forty years and you think this is Moses who didn't get them doing this. I mean in many ways Moses was not a very spiritual man in many ways and yet God said I love him so much he talks face to face with me. You know, but it, he wasn't getting them to do the Passover. He, he, wasn't, he never even got to the place where he admitted that it was his fault that he wasn't going to go into the Promised Land. All through, from the time he was con condemned to go to the Promised Land for striking the rock the second time, he always goes, you all are the reason I'm not going into the Promised Land. It's human nature, blame others. <laughs> well, he did. <laughs> he did, and I think God knew that he wasn't going to repent. Which is why he wasn't allowed, because he knew that God would, that Moses would keep blaming the people. And all through the end of Numbers, and especially Deuteronomy, you all are the reason that I'm not going into. It's not, you know, he doesn't go, well, I got so mad at you that I, it's my fault. He goes, you all are the reason I'm not going in. He never humbled himself on that sin. Never did. In any of the reading that we see. He's always blaming somebody else. And this is a very dangerous place for us to be, to blame others for our problems. And yet, that's the world's way of doing it. That's the flesh's way to do it. Always blame somebody else. It's not my fault. And psychology kind of does the same thing. It teaches you to blame your parents for, for the mistakes they made in your life. It's all their fault. Instead of taking self-control of your life and saying it, I'm the one that made these choices. I'm, you know, they try to get you there after they, after they make you dig it all up and make you mad at them. They try to get you to now take ownership and forgive them, but it's really still their fault. And it gives you that scapegoat. And we see that kind of mentality. People will go, well, I'm just an angry person. It's my Irish blood, and, you know, uh, whatever. You know, they blame, they blame their problems on their heritage. And God is saying, You've got to call it sin. You've got to own it and then repent and put it on the altar. And this is critical for us. How are we going to grow if we don't take personal responsibility? If it's always somebody else's fault. 
And Satan wants us to make it somebody else's fault because we'll never look for forgiveness. This is why salvation, the most important thing in salvation is for me to recognize that I'm a sinner, recognize that I deserve punishment, and recognize that Jesus paid for it and accept that sacrifice. And so God is saying, be honest and take responsibility. All right, it's close to the end, so we're gonna end here on chapter 28, and let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come before you and for each person that's here. And we ask you to bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen.